Raise your hand if you've written a letter in the last six months, not a birthday card or thank you card, an actual letter. Okay, yeah, yeah. There was about that many in the early service. I was not expecting even that many. Three, four, five. How many of you have written a letter in the last year? Yeah, okay. We're not... We're not really letter writing people very much anymore. We used to be a lot more. We're more texting people now, right? Uh, emailing people, but honestly, you don't send personal emails really. Uh, you do work-related emails. You don't pour your heart out in an email. I, I, I don't think. I don't. I don't want to assume anything, but that's just kind of my thought. We used to do a lot of letter writing um, to date myself. Do any of you remember pen pals? Remember, yeah, there used to be for for the young whippersnappers in the in the room. There used to be this program. I don't remember who it was through, but you you could send your name and address in, and they would pair you up with another child from somewhere in the United States that you would never meet, but you would exchange letters. They were your pen pal, so you would write back and forth. Um, most parents try to keep their kids from doing things like that today, right? Writing to total strangers. But back in the day, we used to write to total stranger. We had pen pals across the United States. Uh, we don't do a lot of letter writing. Uh, and, and so a non-letter writing kind of society, we're studying a letter that's almost 2,000 years old. This guy named Paul, uh, we talked about last week, he was totally against Christianity, meets Jesus, is totally for Christ and Christianity. And he's writing letters to churches, to churches that he, he started mostly, and, and to some young pastors and leaders. And uh, we're studying through this letter called Philippians. Uh, it's in the New Testament, almost at the end of your Bible. Um, in, in the first part, he kind of introduces what he's going to talk about. And then he gets right to the how he's doing. If you're writing a letter or a personal email or, or personal text, uh, and you haven't seen somebody in a long time, usually early on in the communication, you, you kind of let them know how you're doing, especially if you haven't seen them for a while. Especially, especially if you haven't seen them for a while and they know you've been through some difficulties, like you've had some challenges, some Something's gone wrong. They want to know early on how you're doing. So Paul gets to that point early on. I'm going to start in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse, verse 12. He writes, Now I want you to know, that's Paul's way of signaling. All right, I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. I, want, I know you're concerned. I know you've heard about my situation. Paul's in jail. Paul's in prison. So look, I want you to know how I'm doing. This is how I'm doing. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, we would expect Paul to say, now, uh, I want you to know that I'm in this cell, and it's this big, and this has been my experience, and this is how they're treating me. He doesn't mention any of that. He doesn't mention any of that. Paul's saying, look, that's not even important. It's not even important that you know all of those details. There is something bigger going on here. In the book of Philippians, one of the, sort of the upside-down ways of looking at life that Paul introduces to us is, look, your perspective changes everything. The things that you're focused on, the things that you're looking at 
changes your whole experience of whatever you're going through. Last week, I mentioned that suffering doesn't get to define everything in our life. Suffering doesn't get to be the end-all, be-all in our life. We're like, okay, I'm going through this, and therefore everything gets defined by this. Suffering doesn't have to have that sort of hold on our life. And that's what Paul's saying. Yes, he's in a difficult circumstance. Yes, he's going through trying times, but that's not his focus. Which, Let's be honest, that's not easy to do when you're suffering. It's kind of like you don't ever think of your pinky toe until you smash it, right? And then like you think about it all the time. As, as soon as suffering enters, it goes right to the top of the list of the things that are on my mind. And here's Paul in a really difficult situation saying, I'm just not focused on that. He's not minimizing suffering, and I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not minimizing suffering either. I'm not saying just get over it. It's not that big a deal. I'm not saying that at all. Paul's not saying that. Suffering is real, and it hurts, and it's hard, and it's difficult. Paul's just communicating. It doesn't have to define everything about you. It doesn't have to define everything about your experience. And here's one of the way Paul conveys that in the early part of this letter. Paul's essentially saying, here's what I do. I look at the open door and not the closed door. I I look at the open door. What is God doing? Not what what is God stopping? What is God opening? Not what is God closing? What could be happening if I'm willing to follow God instead of What is not going to be able to happen now that I'm in this circumstance? Paul's saying, look, look at the open door. Ask God, where's the open door instead of what's the closed door? And and Paul says, God has opened a door for the gospel to advance. When I use the word open door, I don't mean easy. Sometimes we think, oh, open door. It's just easy. I'm just going to walk right through it. The word advance in the original, actually means to advance in spite of obstacles. Paul's not saying it's an open door and it's just easy. Like just everything's working out and the stars are aligning and everything's perfect. And I'm just going to walk through that door because it's really easy. No, Paul's saying, yeah, there's an open door. There's still obstacles. This is, there's still some work to be done. There's still some struggle that's going on. But God is opening a door. It's not the proverbial where God closes a door, he opens a window. You know, we use that phrase a lot. It's not like, oh, yeah, well, it'll just be easy, which is how we tend to think of God's will in our life sometimes. We, we tend to think that, well if, well, if God's in it, it's just going to all be easy. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, you know what, following God, there are obstacles, there are struggles in that, but I know that God is doing something. I I know that in spite of the obstacles, God is giving me an opportunity to advance the gospel. And when you think about it, there's typically not any forward motion without obstacles in any part of your life. I mean, if there are no obstacles, if there are no struggles, if there is no tension, then you're probably not going anywhere. There's a natural friction that comes with moving forward. And that's what Paul says. Look, the gospel is advancing. Things are moving forward. Sure, it's not without obstacles. It's not without struggles. But that's what you get when you try to move forward. You're going to run into some struggles and you're going to run into some obstacles. Now, there were 
at least two specific open doors that Paul saw right in front of him. One was, Paul believed the gospel was being advanced among the guards in the palace. And we're not 100% sure where he was, probably Rome, maybe Ephesus, wherever he was. Paul's saying to his audience, look, I'm, I'm not focused on the locked door in front of me. Instead, I'm realizing that if I had never been in this circumstance, these people would have not heard the gospel from me. If I had not been put in this prison, I would not have had the opportunity to share Christ with the palace guard. Because here's what happened in a, in a normal day is that a guard would come in and he would be stationed. His shift would be with Paul. And so Paul realized, look, he's stuck with me. Like eight-hour shift, he's stuck with me. He's going to hear the gospel for eight hours. And then they're going to change shifts and they're going to give me another guard and I got eight hours with him. And I'm going to tell him about Jesus. And then he's going to go tell the rest of the guards what he heard from me. So Paul says, look, pray for me. Yeah, I'm glad you're concerned for me. But God has given me an opportunity to share the gospel that I would have never had if I had not been in these circumstances. The circumstances that you're in, the struggles that we're going to go through, you're going to go through as an individual, I'm going to go through as an individual, All of those are opportunities for God to give you opportunities to share the gospel. They're open doors for you to take whatever struggles, whatever tragedies, and whatever obstacles you face and meet people in the midst of those obstacles or meet people who are going through the same obstacles and say to them, this is what God did in my life when I walked through that. This is what I saw God do in my life when I faced a very similar obstacle to what you're going through. Another open door that Paul saw, he talks about it, is that Paul began to realize that people are encouraged by courage. Uh, Paul didn't ask to go to jail. He he, he didn't want to go to jail. But he realized walking through that circumstance, trusting God and being courageous started inspiring other people to be courageous. There were other followers of Jesus who, because of the circumstances of the time that they lived in, the days that they lived in, because of the oppression that they were, they were facing, were pulling back on their faith. Like they were hesitating in their faith. And here was Paul who had an opportunity to be courageous. And when he was courageous, other people started to get courageous. One of the realities about walking through difficult times is that there are always people watching us. And sometimes we know who they are and sometimes we don't know who they are. And I'm not saying we're going to be perfect every time we go through trials or we're going to be perfect every time we walk through struggles. But when we walk through struggles faithfully and with our eyes on God, there are other people who notice that and they find courage in what God is doing in our life. And sometimes we see it, sometimes we know who they are, and sometimes we don't know who they are. But those circumstances come into our lives, not just for us, but so that other people around us will go, yeah, I could do it too. Yeah, I could be courageous too. I could get through it too because they did. Another aspect of Paul being in prison is is that Paul, in, this, in his writing, Paul doesn't see himself as a victim. 
think this is one of the things that allows him to be courageous. And one of the things that allows him to live out his faith is that Paul doesn't view himself as a victim. Now, he was a victim. Paul had not murdered anybody, not robbed a bank. Uh, other than preaching the gospel, there was no reason for Paul to be in prison. So in that sense, he realistically could have portrayed himself as a victim, but Paul chooses not to do that. Look, I, I, I know that it feels good to be mad when we're the victims of injustice. I know it does. It feels good to think about getting even or getting people on our side or <clears throat> over and over continuing to tell people how we were mistreated or how they did us wrong, and it may all be true. But here's what I know. Constantly reliving the injustices of your life, constantly seeing yourself as the victim of your circumstances, of the victim of somebody else's wrongdoing, does not lead to a life of joy. It just doesn't. A life of joy is incompatible with a life of, of me being the victim, of self-pity. I'm reading through Oswald Chambers' My Utmost Force Highest again this year. And on the May 16th devotion, Chambers wrote this, <clears throat> No sin is worse than the sin of self-pity. Because it removes God from the throne of our lives, replacing Him with our own self-interest. In other words, instead of God being first, now what's first is all the things that I felt like I deserved that I didn't get. All of the things that I should have gotten that I didn't get. He goes on to say, It causes us to open our mouths only to complain, and we simply become spiritual sponges, always absorbing, never giving, never being satisfied, and there is nothing lovely or generous about our lives. Chambers says, the direction of self-pity, the direction of feeling like the victim is towards me, that I'm defensive. I expect everybody needs to apologize to me. I expect everything needs to focus on me. Justice needs to be done for me, instead of ministry and grace and love and beauty flowing out of me, everything comes towards me. Paul could have ended up there. I mean, he had every reason in the world to end up in this victim mindset, and he refused to. One of the things that helped Paul, I think, avoid feeling like the victim is that he didn't take the attacks of his critics personally. Like he, like he, he didn't have thin skin when it came to what other people were saying. Uh, when you read verses 15 through 17, Paul's just real honest. Like, there are some people taking shots at me. There are some people criticizing me. And there were people in the church. They were church leaders. Like, other pastors were taking advantage of Paul's situation in prison to attack him, to pile on him. And we don't know the reason. Maybe they were jealous of his effectiveness, or maybe they were jealous of his following, or maybe they were jealous of all the churches that he planted. Some people think that in their mind, since Paul was in prison, then he must not be living right with God because God wouldn't allow somebody to go to prison. We, we don't know what they were thinking. We just know they didn't like Paul. And here's, here's Paul already in prison, and now more people are piling on. And, and Paul's honest about it. Look, there, there are people 
that are preaching the gospel with the wrong motives, right? Their, their heart's not right. They're piling on me. But then he, he gives this nice little phrase, but what does it matter? It's Paul's way of saying, big deal. Who cares? Paul didn't take personally all of these other attacks. Instead, he rejoiced in the fact that the gospel was going out. Here's what he says in verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Big deal if they don't like me. Big deal if they have negative things to say about me. All I'm concerned about is the gospel going forth, and as wrong as their motives are, as wrong as their perception of me is, at least the gospel's going out. He's not excusing impure motives. He's he's not excusing agendas on the part of other people. I think for Paul, in his circumstance, he had just gotten to a point where he realized, you know what, there's some big things to worry about, and there's some small things I just don't need to worry about, and What some people think about me is one of the small things I just don't need to worry about. Same thing as I mentioned a minute ago. When you move forward, you're always going to meet friction. When you you move forward, you're always going to meet criticism too. I mean, God's called you to something. When when God's called you to walk by faith, when when God's called you to stand for Him, you're always going to have critics. Paul's saying, get ready. Paul's saying, you can't take... The criticism personally. Instead, you got to realize there is a bigger deal going on. God's gospel is being advanced, and that is the most important thing. Paul gets to the end of that section and just says, you know what? I'm going to rejoice anyway. They're not going to steal my joy because they misperceive me or they attack me. One of the things you realize in life by a certain age is that there are times you just have to fight for joy. Like if you're going to if you're going to keep joy in who you are and who God's made you to be and in what he's called you to do, there are times you're going to have to fight off attacks of that joy. And that's what Paul says, I'm not going to internalize what everybody else is saying. I'm going to choose to maintain joy. And not just joy, but hope. He writes in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I know that God's in control. Like I know that God's got this. I don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but I am confident that God is not done, and that God is continuing to work, and I'm going to rest my hope in Him. Verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I were writing this and I started the sentence with, I eagerly expect and hope, I would have ended it with, to get out of jail, right? That's, that would be like, I'm hoping, I'm ready, like any day now. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, you know what my hope is? I hope that in these circumstances, which aren't great, that I would have the courage and the strength to keep moving forward so that Christ gets exalted, God gets glorified. That's what I'm hoping. 
Like, I'm just hoping that I walk through this in a way that resounds to the glory of God and that other people would be encouraged by it and that the gospel would go forth. That's what I'm counting on. How would life be different if our focus as we walked through difficult times was not, how do I get out of this? How do I get out of these circumstances? But our focus was, how does God get glory in this circumstance? Like, how does Christ get exalted? Like, how does my life become more like Christ because I've walked through these circumstances? Come on, if you're, if you're over the age of 30 at least, you, you would have to admit that you have grown closer to Jesus not during the times when everything was easy. Christ has done more in you when everything fell apart, when you didn't have an answer, when you didn't see what was coming, when you saw a locked door in front of you. That's when God did His deepest, most lasting work in all of us. And Paul's saying, look, you know what my prayer is? My prayer is I would just have the courage and the strength to do what God wants me to do in this circumstance. My prayer, honestly, is often, at least initially, God, I just want out of these circumstances. I just want my circumstances to change. I, I spent a lot of years saying, God, when is it going to change? When are things going to be different? When are you going to show me what's next? And the whole time God was saying, I just want you to be faithful right there for now. I want you to walk in faith and confidence right where you are. And those are not easy days, but those are the days that God does the most work in us. Paul is so committed to this mentality. He's so committed to this perspective of his spiritual life that at one point he writes, look, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, however this works out. Like, if I live, great. If I die, great. If, if you're familiar with Paul's writing, you know that sometimes he gets a little multi-personality when he, when he gets into something, and he does that right after this passage. You can read it there in, in the first chapter. But Paul basically says, like, I don't even know what I want. Like, if I stay here and I stay alive, then I get to minister to all of you. Like, I get to know you, and I get to see what God's up to, and I get to advance his plan here on the earth, and that's awesome. But if I die, like, I'm there with Jesus, and what could be better than being with Jesus in heaven and God? So I kind of want to do that, but then I want to stay with you. But it'd be okay with me if I just left and I went to heaven. And finally he says, I think I'm going to stay with you. I think that's the way it's going to work. I'm, I'm going to stay with you, and it's going to be great. But, hey, if I checked out of here today, I would be fine. This is Paul's mentality to everything he walked through. He said, look, if, if I'm here, then I'm just going to glorify Jesus. If my time is up, I'm going to be in heaven glorifying Jesus. Like, it's win-win for me. Whatever happens, God is going to get glory, and my life is going to be enriched because of Jesus. And he says that same thing to the Philippians. This is verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, however this thing ends up. And Paul's going to admit, like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, I may get out, I may not get out. Whatever happens, whichever direction this goes, if you never see me again, 
If you walk through trials like I'm walking through, just live for the glory of God. Like walk in a manner that would honor the king of the universe. That's what I want to hear about you. Like that's what I want to leave you with. If I never see you again, I want you to live for the kingdom of God regardless of your circumstances. And that's not easy. It's easy on Sunday morning, right, when we're doing a Bible study together. It's hard when your heart is breaking. It's hard when you're praying for your kids. It's hard when life falls apart and you lose the job and things don't work out. But it's no less real then. It's no less real that whatever you're walking through, God is with you and has a plan and a purpose and is able to glorify himself in whatever you're going through. Paul finally says to them at the end, look, you're going to go through stuff like this. You're going to walk through difficult times. And, And he encourages them to consider it a gift from God. He writes in verse 29, it has been granted to you. It's like you've been given this gift. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Like you didn't just get grace and forgiveness and salvation and eternal life in heaven. That wasn't all of it. God's giving you the opportunity to suffer in faith for him. And let's be honest, that's not a gift any of us want today, right? You didn't come to church and you want a big gift of suffering to go home, right? That's the, we want to take that gift back, right? Can I return that, get a gift card or something? I don't want that gift. You can keep that gift. Paul, through all of his journeys, through all of his trials, through all of his suffering, is able to look at his friends and say, look, it's a good thing when you get to walk through difficult times with God. It's a good thing. It hurts. It's painful. It's no, nobody's signing up for it today. Nobody's raising their hand and saying, yeah, give me a big old bucket of suffering. I want to take that home. Nobody's signing up for it, but Paul is saying, look, I've been there. I've been in this a lot of times. I've walked through difficult times, and I'm telling you, God will do something in your life during those times that he won't do any other time. He will meet you in those times, and you won't meet him in exactly that way during any other time. He will open doors. He will confirm his love for you. He will confirm his grace on your life during those times in a way that you won't experience in other times. So consider it a gift that he's granted to you that you would be willing to suffer. I think this whole first part of the letter is is Paul's way to say to his friends who are concerned about him, that they're worried about how he's doing, they're, they're worried about his health, they're worried about how this whole thing's going to work out. This whole first part of the letter is Paul's way of saying, you know what, I'm, I'm really okay. Like, I mean, I don't like it. Like, I want to get out. I mean, I'd love to get out. I want to come see you. I, I want to come back to Philippi and, and hang out with you. I mean, I, I don't want to be here, but you got to know I'm okay. Because God's power... And God's glory is showing me how to walk through this time. And what an incredible message of faith it is in our own lives, in our individual lives. When we're able to say the same thing. You know, I'm okay. I'm okay. I I don't like it. I'd I'd trade it in today if I could. I, I wish it were resolved. I wish it were over. 
I wish I was on the back side of this thing, but I'm not. I'm right in the middle of it, but, but God's meeting me here. God's walking with me here. I'm really okay. Let's pray. God, I'm, I'm so glad that your, your word doesn't paint the Christian life as this kind of easy, automatic, everything's going to go your way because none of us have experienced that life. We, we've all experienced lives where we, we hurt sometimes. We struggle sometimes. We don't understand sometimes. We're the victims of injustice sometimes. And thank you that there was this guy who lived through hurt and pain and injustice and was able to say, but, but I saw God do things like I've never seen before. I'm okay. All over this building, there, there are people who have walked through prison-type circumstances, not literally, but locked door. I don't know, I don't know how this is going to end. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to get out emotionally, relationally. And, and there's some in the middle of it right now. Right now. But you are enough. You are strong enough. You are gracious enough. You have not left us alone. And you're opening doors. Doors to advance the gospel. Doors that Christ would be glorified in our life. Doors that our heart and, and our perspective and, and our hope would be shaped more and more to the image of Jesus. And so help us not to resent those times. Help us to walk them in faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.